you're you you're a sensitive in touch are you person. Fifties on? It's yeah, a little upset. Great. When you Thank realize seven soon. Yeah. What? I know. Yeah. <laughs> We've had this conversation. Uh, he's had LSD. Look at the beautiful hair. Yeah, some gray. Some gray. Right now, but the forehead is tremendous. No, no. Alan just won a lottery on this front. Oh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Are we recording? We are. We're talking Steph, about. Feel how free to put this stuff in. <laughs> We're <Okay>. talking about <laughs> how handsome Alan is. <laughs> Chachanov, a key person in New York City tech and design for a long, long time. Let's talk about that in a minute. But the first thing to talk about really is you run a program at the School of Visual Arts. Yep. What is the name of that program? Uh, the name is uh, MFA in Products of Design. Okay. That uh, Okay. Let's break that down we, a little bit. <laughs> we should. We intended for it to be uh, future-proof. And uh-huh. It actually came true because, well, I mean, the idea was that everything is a product of design. So we mm-hmm. teach every kind of design, uh, graphic design, industrial design, service design, interaction design, social innovation design, tons of business design. Um, so a new design, it, like, you know, suddenly there's a new kind of way. Well, of, yeah, know. radically, you know, multidisciplinary or generalist anyway. Okay. But, but what's interesting is people see the word product design, they think that we're an industrial design program. And we do teach industrial design. Like make the, a teapot kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But the fortunate thing is that I guess about four or five years ago, interaction designers kind of like stole the term product design from industrial designers. Actually, which, that's boy, we did. Didn't which we? is it's either like funny or heartbreaking, depending on which side you're on. No, it's funny know. for us. Yeah, yeah we're, we, we're enjoying it. So many of my colleagues spent their whole lives trying to, you know, help people understand what an industrial designer was. You know, you would you would say, well, we're, we design products, oh, we're product designers. That was easier. And now it's just like, oh, what platform? Facebook? Wow, yeah. we destroyed everything with that. Well, so we it's, is a lot. No, I, but I you know, how many times a- have we said product design? We jumped oh. on it. We yeah. did jump on yeah. it. You know, many people have said everything is interaction design, everything experience design. So It's true. All right. All right. So tell us a little bit. This program, it's a graduate program. Yeah. And it has how many students? There's about 18 students a year. Uh, It's single track. Every student takes every course. Uh, No grades, which is really helpful uh, because we want maximum risk. And, you know, its point of departure is that, uh, and, you know, I'm really upfront about this, that like everything's broken and so that everything can be uh, reimagined. We're, I wouldn't say cynical about best practices, but we're certainly interested in doing things in a way that we haven't gotten good at doing them. You gave me a piece of advice once um, that, no, it was very, very valuable. It was just that there's a real difference between life and school. Yeah. And that you, when you're in school and you're learning, that's not practicing for the real world exactly. It's not like, here, learn these incredibly necessary skills for tomorrow. Yeah. Some of that has to be there. But for the most part, it's like, let's break things. Let's figure it out. I want you to be thinkers. Yeah, I, I'm still really sympathetic with that. Um, I think you need, you know, especially grad school is just a two-year program. And, you know, they're grown-ups. They're people who chose to come back to school. So there's a strange, like when I'm meeting with potential students or prospective students, and, you know, they have this idea of this place where they want to be after grad school. Right. So they're trying to find either the right grad school to get them from where they are now to this vision of the future, or whether grad school at all is the right sort of medium to get them from here to there. Uh, but the problem is that grad school's job is to like mix you up 
in that you know couple of years between where you are and where you want to be. And in fact, even within the first you know two months, where you thought you wanted to be, like probably won't look very interesting anymore. Sure. And also, you're going to grad school's other jobs to show you all these other potential futures that you didn't even know existed. Many of which, as you know, don't even yet exist. What are yeah. some of the things they do in this remarkable journey? You know, we have a a real mix between very purposeful, very social projects and very fanciful and projects around. We actually have a course called Design Delight. Okay. Um, You know, a couple of projects that stick out, Smriti Ideas, one of the projects she did, she was doing a project around prosthetics Mm -hmm. uh, and limb loss and limb difference. And um, a lot of these theses, they can really turn on one sentence, like one of their subject matter experts or one of their you know, user interviews will say something that will change everything. And so she was interviewing um, a woman who had lost her leg. And she said, you know, late at night, um, when I have to go to the bathroom, uh, uh, sometimes I crawl to the bathroom. Because it's just, yeah, Yeah. because it's just so onerous. um, I don't want to put put my legs on. Yeah, Yeah. sure. And, you know, that's, you know, really made an impact on Smoothie. And I think like in one or two days, she just banged out this device. It's actually, it's on the website called Swift, and it's essentially just a white tube that can expand a little bit. And you would either print it out at Shapeways, you could, you know, measure and, and order a size, or maybe there would be several sizes at, at Amazon. And it's just like this opportunistic limb that you can slip on, not have to crawl to the bathroom, and then return to bed. So those kinds of products are amazing to me, because there's not a, there's a, there's like an incredible lots for incredible little. Um, And I just love the idea of the power of design where you could make a small gesture and get an extraordinary impact from it. Um, Usually, I I think what's... And the visuals are very convincing. I mean, like, you you should see the work. I mean, oftentimes that when the design group or the design arm of some big company, it's usually driven by markets, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's time for us to have little teeny... Bluetooth headphones because Apple came out with little teeny ones. Yep, right. So go do those, right? And that's not driven by fundamentally a problem. Of course, everyone would like smaller headphones, but really yeah. the, the catalyst proved to be competition. Well, and I'm going to sure. put my mark yeah. on it. You know, and I'm going to put my, I, make, we got to have yeah. them. Ours will be purple. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is, and, and that's, that sits in such stark contracts to what you just described, right? Which It is- does. I mean, you know, one of the common denominators, which I actually don't talk and think much about, but for this moment I will, is beauty. I mean, this thing's, this thing's beautiful. Uh, and so there's a whole spectrum of, we could say, purposefulness um, in design. Everything from, you know, what industrial designers would call like skin jobs, like, you know, very styling, take a thing and just, you know, shroud it in something beautiful, or really rethinking the problem. Some of the stuff that you do, in reframing, let's say you have a client comes to you and they think that they want something and, you know, that's good enough to start, but likely that's not what you're going to end up doing. And the problem finding, uh, the scoping, the reframing of the whole engagement is going to be the most important part up front. That's no less true for any kind of design, in my opinion, including uh, product design. Just product design is really hard. Right. You know, materials, technology, labor practices, supply chain. It's just endless. We um, find this all the time. Like yeah. nothing that people walk in the door and are ready to get that contract moving. Yeah, and yeah. it's, we don't want them to. We actually, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? We actually get them to, we, we want to slow, slow down. down. Yeah, you want to add some friction, which they don't want to. No, because especially if they're ready to go, it feels terrible. And also, we, to, we also want to close the business. 
Yeah. So it's a little weird for us too, but it, you also don't want to end up, end up down a path where it's like you're doing a thing that A, is untenable or isn't going to make a lot of sense down the road. I, you know what I've learned though, is that everybody knows, like you just, you don't want to blow up that, that moment of fantasy is really important where your idea is absolutely transformational because the process whereby you actually start to go, I've had a few of these ideas and then you start to sort of see them get poked at by reality as you walk around with them. And then you figure out what you're really in the business for. Why are you doing this? You know, yep. what do you, what change could you affect? Because Kind of any, especially with technology, any technology idea you come up with, a smarter watch, a better hat, it doesn't matter, is going to be utterly world transformational and worth a trillion it's, dollars. Everything is a, and everything is a platform. Even, That's right. Even if it's not, like unless you look at it at the platform level, you're not looking at it. The systems mapping, I think, is the most valuable thing that the students do. Affinity mapping, system mapping, How do they user do? journey What's, mapping. What do those like look like? Just The most basic one and probably the funnest one is a mind map where you'll put, let's say, the topic in the middle of a piece of paper and you'll draw a circle around it. And then you'll have these lines that radiate out like spokes on a wheel. And they'll radiate out to other circles, the things that are related. So maybe, like my background is in medical design, so it might radiate out to, uh, well, what we're talking about, industrial design, let's say ergonomics. And then it could radiate out to regulatory. And then it could radiate out to money. Uh, and very close to that is going to be insurance. And then payers and payees will be around the insurance bubble. And then you start making uh, smaller bicycle spoke wheels around each of the wheels. And all of a sudden you have this map on the wall. And then it's a pretty quick trip to do what we would call a systems map after that, well, okay. which is where you would start to organize this a little bit. It's not just a big like blah on the wall. And when you show that to a client or to really anybody, it is likely the first time they've ever seen what they do. And it is often just, you know, their jaw drops. Because nobody ever showed them they a picture of what their business Yeah. And took a bird's eye view. Well, yeah. your own your own process is a mystery, right? Like who knows your own process? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and same with students. Like they're the worst the they're the worst at seeing what they do or just a little edit that will turn something from good to like, you know, to sure. great. I mean, you find this with with your clients, right? That you have to do that in the beginning or you're, you know, you're digging a hole that you're going to be in. Sometimes when I say to my students, you know, when they're like, how should we write our thesis books? I'm like, well, you know, imagine reading them, right. <laughs> like, yeah. write them, write them as if you would actually have to read them. And they're like, oh, OK. So students come in, they want to make things, they want to do things, design things. What are they what are they like when they come out after two years? You know, they're certainly converse. I want to say that they're multilingual. Okay. Um, that's that's ambitious, but they're certainly conversant. They're going to understand how you know VCs talk and what they worry about. They're going to understand how to pitch to foundations. They're going to understand UX, UI, lots of principles around graphic design, typography, hierarchy. Just like all of it, it's it's ambitious. The thing that we do is we have a lot of short courses instead of, huh. we almost we have almost no 15-week courses left. I believe that people can learn things faster than most people think that they can. Mm -hmm. Also, graduate students worry. Like they're old enough to know, I've, I've written about this, they're old enough to know that their uh, decisions have consequences, so they don't want to have negative consequences, so they don't want to decide anything. So they read another book. And so when you have a project that is, you know, 15 weeks long, you know, they'll start and then by week three or four, like it'll get hard because sure. you know, like anything worth working on gets hard. 
And then like, well, maybe I should try this other idea. So then they go to their other idea. And then three or four weeks later, that gets hard too, because anything worth working on gets hard. And they're like, well, you know, now I'm getting worried. Let me go back to my first idea. And then the thing's just like this desperate rush to the finish. Right. I'm sure it's same, same in business, right? With a seven-week course, you, you begin and then you middle and then you end. You're ending after like class two or three. Um, and you have to commit to idea to an idea and just never, never give up. Mm-hmm. Like no changing your idea. Of course it will change and evolve, but no like starting like, oh, well now I'm going to do something around optics. So, you, so we design out those weeks of anxiety where students will typically have like an existential crisis. But the best part is if we make a course from 15 weeks to seven weeks, we have a new seven weeks now that we can create a new course around. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we're in New York and because a lot of the classes are in the evening, you know, I can get people to say yes to teaching who could normally never say yes to teaching, like 15, you know, afternoons. But, you know, like Paola Antonelli can give us, you know, five evenings a year. Right? That's right. She's um, exec director of MoMA, right? She's a MoMA, yeah. yeah okay. uh, she's actually on sabbatical this year. but And also, like, she can kill it in five weeks, you know? Sure. Where do they go when they graduate? I thought that it was going to be just entrepreneurship city. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so in the air. Like, I always conceived of it as a leadership program, but I did have an idea that there would be more businesses launched out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was a little naive. I'm Canadian, still Canadian. I've been here for 30, 32 years. <laughs> it's never going to leave you. Uh, I wanted to vote. I mean, you know, it was a yeah. Time. yeah. Oh, you're still Canadian citizen. Yeah, yeah. But residing here in the U.S. Yeah, so I underestimated just the, the financial burden of this thing. I mean, yeah, I was you know, about grad to make school a joke. is so expensive. You just left them with a debt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, and they you worry about that. You owe $80,000 to start a company. Yeah. Well, and, you know, add add to that the cost of living and eating, and they're not earning money, right? Like, they don't have sure. jobs while they're in school. Yep. So it's uh, the opportunity cost is, is immense in any event. So they get the jobs at IDEO and Frog and SYP and Johnson & Johnson, like lots of really great companies. And then medium and small size consultancies as well. And it's really only in the last couple of years that the students are, are leaving those, you know, probably their second jobs right. and starting out on their own. The other thing that I, I knew, but I, I hadn't internalized is that like nobody stays anywhere more than 18 months. So I can... I can calm some students down when they're so worried about, like, you know, picking the right first job kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, don't worry about it so much. You're, you're going to leave. You're, you're going to leave anyway. In a year and um, six months. And this used to be more of like an advertising agency model. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd raise your salary by leaving every 16 or 18 months or whatever the convention was. But, you know, creative people are really restless. Um, yeah. And they want new challenges. And, you know, school in a way makes that worse because it spoils them with all these fascinating things to do, like every day of the week, sure. every week of the two years. And then they get somewhere and, well, no, so you know, just given it's not invention time every day. You've given them the leaders of thinking in New York City and around the field enough. as their teachers, yeah, advisors yeah. and friends. Yeah. Who, who's doing great work right now? Well, actually, I mean, back to one, one of my students, Sovet Paul, he's actually turning his thesis into a commercial product. It's called Cath Buddy. It was called Clean Cath. Two weeks before he came to the grad program, a friend of his was in a car accident and became paralyzed, so sort of back on, on paralysis. And he knew that for his thesis, he wanted to, to do work around, you know, life in a wheelchair, but one of the things that he discovered is that there is a budget for how many disposable catheters you get a month if you are, you know, cathing. 
and that it's usually not enough what insurance will pay for, and that mm. people are sterilizing their own disposable catheters and reusing them. I mean, this is like pretty specific design challenge. Yeah. And they're using like, you know, Clorox and microwaves. And I mean, it's just, it's a, uh, it's a disaster out there, yeah. right? And so the, wow. the risk for infection, yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a big deal. So he came up with this device that would use uh, UV sterilization and you would put your used catheters into this device and it would sterilize them and then you could use them again. And he had really kept his dream alive since he's graduated and worked. So it's going to it's going to be a real product. So like that it's is not like, out yet. It's not out that, but it's like you think like, well, that's really like almost arcane, right? It's like it's really really specific, but the numbers of people who use you know these products is extraordinary. So the scale of something like that could have really great impact. Also, there's no segmentation here. This isn't a urban problem or an yeah, I know. problem. Yeah, you're per, you're I think it's a not talked about problem, no, which makes it actually work. extra fascinating. Your persona work is pretty simple on this it's one. Straightforward and the, it's global mm, in, in scale. I mean, the other thing uh, that I love is you and I love to talk about how we like really, you know, difficult, disgusting, horrible problems. And that's Are you an, looking at me right now? <laughs> you and me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we love yes. the we love to brag about it. And that's an actual like cath- that's an actual catheters that have problem. to be clean where you can't get the yeah. insurance money. So you had an agency. Yeah, it, it's it was that, but it was, you know, s- sister to uh, a design like publication platform. So this is 95. I had graduated in 86 and 87 from Pratt with an industrial design degree. And I was I did my thesis on stick-proof hypodermic needles. So hypodermic needles where you couldn't get an accidental needle stick. Gotcha. Uh, HIV AIDS was like new and everyone, you know, all the healthcare industry was like freaking out. The world needed a device like this. I mean, now it's a, you know mandated by law, but in, in those days it didn't exist and no one could spend any more money on any kind of State the problem needle. again? Um, you're taking blood or uh-huh. you're giving a shot um, yeah. and you remove the needle from the arm and you turn and accidentally, um, you know, stick somebody mm-hmm. or you're sheathing um, the needle with the needle cap, the plastic cap, and you miss it and you jab Bring your thumb. Your, yourself, yeah. um, I worked for a year and a half in that area. Ultimately, it expanded to um, uh, phlebotomy, which is a fancy word for laboratory blood collection. So looking at the whole, well, user journey of blood from when it leaves the arm to when you're going to get, you know, a result. So things like, you know, when you put blood in a test tube, we're getting very detailed now, right? Um, That blood builds up pressure. And so when you open the rubber test tube top, it can aspirate into your face um, and you can contract HIV AIDS through your eyes that way. Um, it's getting lovelier and lovelier, right? Um, so I graduated and I knew I wanted to go into medical design. I always had like a big problem with solid waste. I knew I wanted to design things, but I couldn't stand the idea of mass production and just garbage. So I went into medical design. The joke's on me, of course, because you know medical design creates more plastic than it's anything. It's all single production. use, yeah. and it's like incinerated, I mean, so it's, it's like, like extra bad, right? It's not like a styrofoam wrapper for a hamburger. Oh, but I mean, like- the, <laughs> the mechanics in some of these devices, like surgical staplers, I mean, and it's all just thrown out after a single use. I got to continue my interest in HIV AIDS. I worked in secret on a project for Johnson & Johnson. It was the first home HIV, uh, home HIV test kit. Sure. But they weren't ready to put their name on it. And so like, actually we didn't tell anybody we were working on it. McKinsey was involved, the FDA. Wow. Uh, C. Everett Coop, if you remember, this very beloved yeah. Surgeon General. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm like 
behind the one-way mirror, like testing this, the design of this, of this kit that you would essentially prick your finger and then provide a dried blood sample and then it, it's sent in the mail. But we knew that we were, you know, we, even in those days, we didn't call it like, you know, user segmentation, but we knew that we were really looking at sexually active teenagers. We knew that we were looking at, you know, in all candor, like cheating spouses. Sure. We knew that we were looking at groups that are high risk for HIV and that this thing was going to be done secretly and in some, like, with a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so pricking your finger... Lock is, the bathroom. Is, so lock the bathroom. So, so thank you. So that's the first place is where is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the bathroom. So in the bathroom, not a lot of horizontal surfaces, right? So we actually had to create a surface. Uh, okay. This kit actually unfolded into a surface because we knew that it was going to be in some it's sense not, laying in the sink. It's not a desk. Right? It's not yeah, a... You're yeah, on yeah. the toilet. You're not in a lab. <laughs> well, you're yeah. probably... Just before phones, so... You, you, know, you were not toilet that long. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, then it gets, okay, so you have to get rid of the evidence. So the kid has to somehow go away. Yeah. All right, so wait, I'm trying to visualize it. So you're in the bathroom. Maybe you got on the floor. Maybe you sat on the toilet. You open this kid up. It kind of creates almost like a, I guess, a tray. Kind of a flat surface. Flat surface. Okay. The big battle was the the pretest counseling. Okay. Because there had never been, uh, there's no precedent for a home diagnostic kit, like a pregnancy kit, for instance, Mm. of a fatal disease. Right. right. Um, sure. Also, the false positive and false negative was really, really important here Stakes because even high, if you yeah. were negative, you had to be retested in three more months. Right. Right. And it had to be private. So the idea we came up with this like barcoding system where you would pull out this ticket and we shaped it in the size of a credit card. So it was a very familiar shape and you could put it in your wallet and hide it. Right. But if you were in a situation where you weren't hiding this kit, where you were with a partner and you were both doing it, let's say, then that number would be on there. Ultimately, there was a 1-800 number, and the way that it shaked out was that if it was negative, you would get a kind of recording, and if it was positive, you would get a live person. Mm -hmm. So this is really hard to do, and there were two different landsets in the package because sometimes you miss on the first one. It really hurts. So even if you miss and you don't get enough blood, you have to do it again, and you're really scared to do it again. Like I'd come home with like these, these sore fingertips for weeks. Right. Because um, oh, you have to test this thing constantly. F- the full user journey, right? So now what happens? You haven't, it hasn't worked. You take it back to the drugstore and you want a refund. This is supposed to be anonymous, right? There's no name attached to this. You're not registering to do this. So, so thinking through these just unbelievably complex, sure. thorny user also, experience there's, there's design blood issues. On stuff. The whole thing is just, yeah. you know, back to the pretest counseling or the no pretest counseling. Because Sierra Coop was so beloved in those days, I think a deal was made, probably bar- uh, you know, brokered by McKinsey and FDA, that if C. Everett Coop wrote the, the manual, then that in some sense would count as pretest counseling. I mean, it really came, it really came down to like, listen, people should go to a clinic. They should go to right. their doctor. And then on the other side, it's just like people don't go to the clinic. They don't have a doctor. People are dying. Do you want this kit with a booklet? And no pretest counseling in person, or we're going or nothing. And so it became this really, it was an, an extraordinary a lot, a lot moment in time. Play, yeah. 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 So as and every one of these was just such an unbelievable design decision. It comes on the market. It's ripped off in one day. Right. The knockoff, like same form factor, similar graphic identity, basically the same layout. I think it was on the market. Jane Jay's was on the market for I think a year or two only. 
you know, they really need a home run with J and J, like just the scale. It's a giant company. Yeah, so yeah. they you know have to sell a lot of anything, and they'll they'll sink you know huge sums of money into R and D for a product, and if it it doesn't go, it doesn't go. So um, it's not something you can market like Q tips. No, and all of the I mean, imagine those meetings. Yeah. Right. Well, that's just giant company yeah. too. Like, what are you going to yeah. do? You got McKinsey and the yeah. FDA in there. It's a tornado. Yeah. yeah. And little Allen just trying to. Do I, his you know, job. I was just. <laughs> anyway, so um, I started teaching in 1995, and that's where I met Eric Ludlum and Stu Constantine, who are the founders of Core 77. And Pratt was smart enough for the thesis they wanted to make a website. So this was like two years into the World Wide Web. And um, and that was the year that I started teaching. And Pratt was smart enough to hire them to design the first Pratt.edu website and gave them um, a room and a T1 line, which you will appreciate. Yeah, yeah right? Um, and Man. essentially, like, incubated them when that word wasn't a word yet. Sure. And so in those days, I would teach, like, a full day, which was amazing. Like, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, like, sophomore ID studio. You could show a film. You could have a discussion, do critiques. It was amazing. So it was a good thing. It was a good that thing. Much, that much teaching. Yeah. But I'm, I had I'm a lunch hour. And I, well, yeah. <laughs> now it's, like, unimaginable. But I'd go there, I'd go there at lunchtime and uh, to the Core 77 office, and I would, like, learn HTML. Sure. For those that don't know, yeah. what is Core 77? Let's do uh, so Core 77 was actually the first design website online. It specialized in industrial design, so it had a very tight like purview. And Stu and Eric talk about it, that they created the site that they wished they had when they were looking for grad schools. Sure. Um, and it had all of these sections. It had a resource section. Um, like You remember what things were like in 1995, right? It was like Web 1.0. Um, there wasn't that much web. No, no. Yeah. I mean, and there was, you know, these were static pages. I actually had a column called Contraptions. Stu and Eric teased me that I, they say that I was the first design blogger, which actually might be true. Might I, be true. I, would, I would pick like a funny object and write like some pithy paragraph about it and do like five of them a month kind I'm of thing. I'm just worried Jeffrey Zellman will burst through and the uh, door. He's coming yeah. through yeah. three blocks away. Yeah, I don't know if there were web standards either. <laughs> so I, I got to know these guys. And um, and then there was a project that uh, I was consulting with Aisha Brassell for Herman Miller. It was this brand new, you might remember, it, a system called Resolve. It was based on 120 degrees angles instead of 90 degree Oh, angles. that's right. It was yeah, the future it was, of the cubicle. It was phenomenal. Oh, and then yeah. the first dot-com bust happened, you know, eight months later. Some like, Herman Miller couldn't build enough factories every, to make enough of this stuff. Everything had just, to contract by 30 It was degrees. unbelievable. Like, no, in the contract furniture industry, like, that's the first to go. Okay. You know? so oh, that's interesting. That was that's... heartbreaking. Uh, anyway, so I started doing some consulting with Stu and Eric at Core 77, and uh, we did this project for this Resolve system, and it actually won a lot of awards. Like, you know, the gold pencil and the silver cube actually, like, have those engraved. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Herman Miller starts calling and said, well, can you do that for our system? Sure. And then we started to do all, like, the physical computing. Oh, in their designers. In, in What's their, it better than a call from Herman Miller? Well, yeah, and that's, Track Them Colors was, was oh. around. And, you know, we worked with a lot of amazing artists I mean, that's uh, from the, ITP. That's really close to the, the yeah. core. And they're right? design-driven, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we couldn't ask for much. Anyway, so I ended up like running a lot of this stuff in between like you know managing editing um course you're always teaching it's a long time yeah yeah it's probably 23 or 24 24 years and then um so that design publishing went on a long time core grew the web grew like everything exploded are you connected day to day are you kind of advisory now you know i'm on i'm on partner meetings okay um you know most of my life is at core is it uh at sva right now right but yeah no it's um it's still very much part of your life it's you know 
there's not a lot of things that have lasted that long. No. Uh, that are really about, you know, making design connections and helping people find either fascinating things to care about or fascinating opportunities, you know, job opportunities or finding talent. So, Alan, design, it feels like somebody made two or three billion stickers that say design on them. Yeah. And gave them out to everybody. Yep. Designers and non-designers. Yeah. And now there's there are design stickers on everything. Well, yeah. there's design stickers on giant consulting firms around technology, around just everybody's yeah. a designer. The way that a terms like, you know, customer journey get tossed around. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a strange I've watched this not as a designer, but more as a spectator mm-hmm. and seen, I think it's the last 10 years, more like five. I feel like it really started well, do to we, up. Let's, let's actually, you're saying, let's ask Alan, do you feel that design has been commoditized in the last 10 years in a way that it wasn't or before? Or describe this. Like, I, it's just exploded. And one, I, I mean, you could put on one hat and say, isn't this great? Finally, we've arrived. And, the, right. the, you know, and, and then there's the other hat, which is, God, we're being, I mean, it's just, it's been diluted into shit. Yeah. Uh, give me your perspective on where we're at today. I think the first thing to notice, like, so I'm not cynical about this. Like, the first thing to notice is that design has moved from something that is seen as aesthetic and coming at the end to something that is truly strategic, you know, and coming at the beginning. And like, you understand that better than anybody, right? You know, again, you'll make something beautiful, but in a, in a Bucky Fuller kind of way, if it's the right solution, it will be beautiful. You don't have to make it beautiful. So I think that there's a new appreciation. If that, you like domes, like you if you like domes, love too. a dome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing that, you know, people love to make fun of is design thinking, which, you know, uh, even Tim Brown would like argue is just, it's pretty common sense, right? Like, you know, work with your user, uh, listen, prototype early and, and then do it again, you know, and iterate and like, don't be an idiot, basically. Like those, <laughs> those are it. That's, that's design thinking. That's the man who runs Ideo. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, okay. Design thinking I don't think, is a wonderful. Phrase. Well, but people, the people make fun of it, and I think that a lot of people who make fun of it. I mean, first of all, the word I talked about this in that no meeting article. The word thinking is in design thinking, and everybody knows that design isn't about thinking; it's about making stuff. It's about doing. Right. Um, so right away, it's tricky, um, and the the idea is that if you thought about something hard enough, then you would you would solve it, and that's like ridiculous. I also think that people who criticize design thinking have actually never been in a design thinking workshop. Like I've run one. Uh, with a bunch of um, doctors and some managers and med students at Jefferson University just a couple months ago. And it's like they see God. Like they can't believe, they come up to you after and they're like, I can't believe I didn't know about any of this. I can't believe the notion of iteration. I didn't even know that word, for instance. I didn't know that we could make a low resolution, like, you know, prototype of a web page on a, on three, you know, of, on a, of a mobile app on three post-it notes and actually see something that we've been sitting in meetings just talking about and doing nothing about. It's like a revelation to them. Mm. So I think that people would be less willing to criticize. Well, that's what a it, conversation where, where design thinking is is brutal in the marketing message. Well, like, and that's the thing is journalists like to talk about the overpromise of design thinking. Right. And of course, that's bad. And again, the overpromising is is part of the problem. The re- the, the, the journalism of the overpromising part is a that's a fun article to write. Well, there's also a moment know? where everything so. kind of caught fire and went too far. It's like Ted was a good example. Like mm-hmm. 
90% of the TED content is typical magazine style content. It's pretty packaged up. And then 10% is a little woo woo mm-hmm. and fine. Okay. Like that's, that's how America works and how we consume content. But there was so much of it at one point that everybody was like, I'm going to make fun of this now. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, think everything comes up for parody at a certain point. You that's know, right. I, I liked it before it was cool kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so I see the more people talking or thinking about design as an actual process and not as a thing, as an artifact, like the better. That is it's real value. value. It's a real value. Thank I mean, you. That's yeah. real, especially in a world where you know, cynically, you know, it's all about extracting value. Like the design process adds value, right? Um, and the earlier, the better. Um, I know post lights like super design driven, and you have a place. You know, where you understand that everything you know, starts and ends with design. Thank you. You've saved us 30 seconds (laughs) of marketing. (laughs) Oh, it's really, really true. If you don't mind, Um, we're going to use that clip. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Yeah. Alan Chudzinov says, (laughs) um, you know, tricky thing too, is the process can be really goofy. And that it's hard to like it's hard to commoditize like goofy thinking uh, and, and and risky. I mean, you're, if you're a designer, you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah, and business is not comfortable with ambiguity. Like they they were they're in the risk reduction business, right? Lawyers too, regulatory too, policy too. One of the ways so that I think we're able to get it's stuff across- antithetical to a lot of people's like you know sure. It's scary. Way of life. It's a scary process. It's really scary. One of the ways we get things across the line is Mm. just, it's so hard to ship software that people accept. There's a point about halfway through in a lot of projects where we're like, you know, I know when you walked in, you said this and this. And we said, we didn't know. We we weren't 100% sure. Mm -hmm. It actually turns out that instead of A and B, C is going to be the better path. They're so anxious about not shipping that they're able to sort of like process and listen and, and, and react to that because they've had experiences where things haven't gone out the door because... People try to do everything for them. Also, transparency is key there. Yeah. Like you can't show up and say, listen, um, it's going to be path C. They, they have to have seen how we got there. Rich has a wonderful maxim, mm-hmm. which is nothing's bad news uh, 60 days ahead. Oh, I love that. Mine is everything's shitty until it's better. You know, right. Everything's worse until it's better. And if you just keep telling yeah. the story and they know uh-huh. that like, you know, path C is probably going to be our option but it's two months before yeah. delivery date. Everyone is going to calm down. Well, do you think that 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 scale, like that number sixty, changes depending on how, in some sense, in love they are with their own idea before they manage to get to you to find you? <sighs> we have to, like how we, dug we, in they are to like we know that this is we destroy the love at outset of engagement. Well, it's it. We have very much. We don't report back. We're more like, come on in, come sit, yeah. at the table. And you know that virtual table that is Slack today. We don't yeah. do the weekly report. We're like, here's what's going on. Come mm-hmm. on in. Sometimes they don't do it. They right. don't come in, and then they just show up and they say, hey, what's going on? And actually, that's not actually, a, not of the current class. Like we've gotten most of that out of the business. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very it's much, risky. it's very collaborative. And because we want them to, first off, we want to have them in, in the room as we talk through the problem, because a lot of times they're the domain experts, not us. We're just, oh yeah, we're still trying to learn well, in our world. I think appreciation for local knowledge is a nice tenet of design thinking. Absolutely. You know, it's like not Absolutely. everybody, you know, the client isn't an idiot all the time. Kind exactly. Of thing. We um, are done with you know. that. Like that when we started this firm, my instinct was the clients were going to show up and they were going to be smarter than they used to be. The consumer of a platform company's services is often a, a, a product leader on the other side. And they or they are experienced or they also the, the, the resources for learning what 
apps and platforms and products and APIs are, are, are so much better than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So they come in pretty educated. Well, they also have consumer experiences on their devices right. that are like, how come our, our work doesn't work like this? That's right. Like, how come I don't have a dashboard yep. for this for my business, but I do for my jogging? Yeah, you know, that's my right. Running. So maybe half the battle is done for you. I mean, maybe not half, but at least they understand power of design, they may not understand the actual, you know, plumbing of it. I, I think it, it has to do with, and I think you'll see this even right up to big consulting. I mean, the message now is we're going to worry about these problems with you. We're going to work through this. Design is part of the whole story here rather than it's a bolt on. And, and we say that. And so when people come to us, they kind of have an idea of how it's going to go, that we're not a just raw engineering shop that is going to take a blueprint yeah. and just produce the thing. I just wonder, you know, one of my favorite quotes is Petrula Vrontaika. She's a, a designer and, and a teacher in California. She says, I work with my ears. And so I wonder sometimes, like, you know, what kind of clients come in here where you're mostly listening and what kind of clients are coming in here where you have to just help them understand like who you are, what you believe, the process, the kind of team that you have. Usually when they come here, there is so much bottled up. We go into pure listening mode. Yeah. We just we don't even want to actually have a dialogue much. We just sort of let them go. Put it out on like let us see the reality of what you're worried about basically. And, exactly. Yeah. Around then, about minute 50 of a meeting, <laughs> yeah. I, I think like, oh, you know, we should tell them what we do. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. like that's we, we got to let them go and do the thing, and then yeah. little by little we start to get into the the conversation. You're going to know pretty quickly um, mm-hmm. whether this person is going to relinquish a lot of that control to allow us to do our thing, or if it's if it's going to be too tight and it's going to not allow this to be a success. And we can see it usually in that first or second meeting. You can tell. Yeah, I'm sure you have really good instincts as well. Well, let me ask you the magic wand question. Like, if you had a magic wand, what would you want that person to ask you or to know about you in those initial meetings where they're trying to understand, like, do I need design? Like, what is design capacity going to do for me? And, I mean, sort of where we started about choosing, you know, whether to go to school at all or which school. And if your organization is the right fit for them, what would they ask you or what would they tell you that you couldn't sort of, interrupt them at minute 10 say, listen, can you, No, I, I mean, this would be helpful. For me, Richie might have a different point of view, but for me, it's just, it's very much, it takes a long time to get to the user. People have their, yeah. they have their peers oh, and their the business. They have the wrong user usually. Yeah. And they've yeah. got the CEO and yeah. they've got so many anxieties. They have either money they have to spend or money they have to go ask for. And promises they've walked around. And who are we? Companies. Who the hell are we? Oh, right. right. Of course. Like you're not necessarily the only people they're talking to. No. And so they're, yeah, they're trying to figure course. us out. And it, so it often takes, I think, really three or four conversations until you finally can relax everybody and they can say, yeah, no, I know exactly who the user is here, right? But they cannot relax into that on that first meeting. That's actually very closely held information. We had a client. The message was, there's a big event coming in 90 days Mm -hmm. and we want to do a thing so that there's, we make a good impact at the event. Right. Like the ideas came out, like, you know, you pop the confetti thing. Like exhibition design, branding, the whole brand environment. We, they didn't know. They, They had ideas. They had sketched stuff out and they had what was actually great was they had this time frame, which yeah. we were able to use as sort of a forcing function yeah, sure. 
to say, all right, listen, these some of these are great and mm-hmm. 3D is awesome. Right. But, but 90 days is 90 days. <laughs> 90 days away. And your right? budget's your budget. Exactly. Yeah. That steering process. And then eventually mm-hmm. you have to give us the keys, right? We're like, okay, we got to run fast here. I mean, that is the reality. You oh, we gotta, to you're going to set up the server. You're going to put it on rails at that point. Yeah, yeah. And and. And you might not get to test it so much. No, that's right. That's yeah. right. Like as uh, an event, like doesn't slip. That's that's the scary that part slip. of that. It's just exactly. like it's just like well, if we wait three more you know weeks, it'll be it'll be exactly. right. Or no, months. it won't get better, and yeah. we won't fail. Like we won't mm-hmm. let you fail. Right. And so we actually have to build that relationship. The good news is that the people who are right over your shoulder, watching every little bit, they tend to be super cheap. Like they don't want to pay. They want to watch you, and they want to tell yeah. you how to do it. And they're gonna they're gonna watch every minute. And so. By the time we get even even to back of envelope, they're gone. Oh, no. You know that chart? It's like, you know, design fees, you know, whatever it is, like $500, you know, if I really? do it. Yeah. 750 if you watch me do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. 1100 <laughs> you know, you know, or if you're in the room, you That's know. That's right. Um, and it just gets more expensive the more, uh, there's a bunch <laughs> of these things on Instagram. They're pretty great. I'm going to find one and send it to you. It's also, I mean, we think about the designers. It's pretty demoralizing if you're just, if somebody took your hand while it's on the pencil and are just yeah. constantly in there. It's very it's tough. No, it's not good. It's not good. All right, Alan, what do people do to get in touch with you? I'm not much on Twitter. I mean, I'll be on it because I feel like I have to be on it. Yeah. I like Instagram for hobbies. So that's a good place to find me. Um, well, we you could, know, you can go to alanchachanov.com, but uh, well, that's probably cool. the SVA is going to be the, you know, we're going to sort of see the most exciting stuff. So. Where, what is the name of the program? It's uh, products of design is plural products of design.sva.edu. Um, All right. Oh, and I have this whole essay on changing the word meeting to the word review. Uh, the argument is that if you use the word, if you had a review at three o'clock this afternoon, you know, you'd look like an idiot showing up empty-handed to something called a review. But if you had a meeting at three o'clock, like whatever, no need to prepare. So um, this idea came up um, in a in a staff meeting from Alicia Wessler, our director of operations, and you know, it was like, can we can we reimagine the word meeting? Could we actually just change it in the department? She said, well, what about the word review? And I was like, that's it. So I went back to my computer and I downloaded a, an autocorrect Chrome extension. And I made it correct one word. Whenever I typed the word meeting, it would change it to the word review. And then I went to my iOS and did the same thing. Um, and so I spent seven months not being able to type the word meeting. How'd that go? It was awesome. Because you type so, meeting and then it changes it into review. And you're like, oh, no, actually, we should probably ask people to like do something before we take their time and get I'm together. applying this test right now. Yeah. So it's like, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Don't just bring your ideas. Bring a plan. Anything. Any yeah. kind of prototype. Yeah. Um, and so one of our faculty, Bill Cromie, actually built a custom extension called No Meeting. Uh, so you don't have to like type in God anything. Web no, and get this. Yeah. He came up with this idea to, to make a Slack bot, which he did, which you can find at this at this article. So when you type it into Slack, if the no meeting Slack bot is in there, then the Slack bot will pop up and it says, hey, I noticed you uh, typed the word meeting. Would you like me to change that to the word review so that people always come prepared to future gatherings? Alan. This was great. Yeah. Um, I could listen to stories about medical devices being designed li- for the rest of my life. Well, thanks for having Alan, me. Thanks, you, thanks so much. This yeah, this has been a thrill. A Thank you. Hey, if anybody needs us, hello at postlight.com. That's the email that you could send to, and it would go to me and Rich. And we'll forward it to Alan if you have any questions for him. Oh, yes. totally. All right. All right, let's get yeah. out of here. We're going to let's hang out and talk about medical devices. Yeah.